I'm going now to um, basically open up the slides. Just a second. Okay, can you see it? Yes. Okay. So the whole thing is basically, you already have said it, it's about free private city and the subtitle is making governments compete for you. So it's basically the other way around, right? So at the moment you are stuck in the country wherever you are and have to do what the rulers say. But what if it was that they were really um, promoting that you come to their place because they're offering a very good service. And that's exactly what we have on normal market. Um, if you want to attract people, um, then you have to offer an attractive product, but we do not have this on the state market yet. And that's why I want to make a proposal what we can do about that. So. So there was a time in the West when uh, people said, well, the liberal democracies, if we have to have them today, uh, or as you have it in India, is the end of history, right? There's nothing more possible, that's the best we can. And so now it's over and everybody has to adapt to that. But at the same time, we are seeing that it's obviously not really functioning, right? Because governments are suffering from uh, legal uncertainty. For example, if you are, well, it says governments are suffering from, but I would say uh, who suffers most are the people uh, in, uh, in these states. Um, but it's, it's probably, um, if you imagine you are a business person and you want to start a company um, or you're just a, a normal a guy who wants to take care of his social security, his pension on his own behalf, yeah, then the next government will change all the rules that have been introduced from the, by the other, by the first government, right? And the same applies if you want to establish a, a big project with your company or buy, buy, build a factory. You don't know what will the rules be two or three years from now. That is creating a lot of uncertainty and eventually is, is, is stopping preventing investment. Um, Political instability comes with that. I mean, you do not know in a democracy which party will rule in 10 years. There may be um, a party that advocates uh, taking away 50% of all your income, right? Uh, it's, it's unforeseeable, it leads to instability, and it's always one side of the population that is, that is not satisfied with the uh, government which has been elected by uh, the other half of the, of the population. Um, another problem is, is cronyism and, and uh, corruption. Cronyism means that um, on paper you have a free market and you have certain rule of law, uh, but in reality only the uh, guys who have a good connection to the government, the companies who have a good connection to the government, they get all the, the big offers, they get all the big projects. Um, and the easiest corruption, of course, um, on paper, you have to uh, fulfill certain criteria, then you get your permit. But in many countries, uh, including democratic countries, uh, the public servants just want to make it, have an extra payment and then suddenly you get your permit. So all over this, it's, it's not really what you would consider a, a good service, a good product. 
But why does politics operate so poorly? Well, mostly because the governments are based on coercion, right? So they have no real incentive uh, to treat you better because they have a call option on all your wealth, on all the income of all citizens. They have a call option. They can take it any time. They just say, hey, we increase the taxes. They can do that. So they have no incentive to really um, provide a good product because why should they? They, if they need more money, they just go to you, right? That is, that is a big problem. So and they have no price feedback so, in, so that, okay, they get paid something uh, voluntarily. No, that's not existing. <laughs> it's like, um, imagine that. It, it's, it's comparable to the following situation. Let's assume you, one of you want to buy a car, a car to drive. So you go into the car dealer and then the car dealer says, yes, you can. You can buy a car, uh, but I decide which type. I decide how many horsepowers. I decide the color and I decide the interior. And by the way, I decide a price that you pay for that. You would say, are you crazy, man? I go to, to another dealer. And, but here's the problem. This is exactly describing your relationship to the state as a service provider. Right? That is the problem. Government decides everything, what you get from them, and even what you have to pay for it. So that is a problem. And that is the reason why it's not really working. So people say, well, that is, but it, this, is, this is not without cost. It's a social contract, right? So we have a kind of a contract. Um, we have all agreed that we give away our power to the state so the state can take care of us and, and, and um, make all those decisions. We are all perfectly fine with that. Yeah, that's the theory, but it's not true. And even the guy who invented this theory, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, um, he wrote in his book, but they never quote him this way. He wrote in his book about the social contract. Even majority rule is subject to prior agreement and requires initial consent of every single person. Yeah, and there's no, no country in the world where this ever has happened, right? I mean, the problem with, with, with majority politics, which is democracy, is basically that uh, is, uh, you are, we are all born in those countries. And even if we disagree uh, that there's a group of people who are making decisions about our lives, uh, we don't, we are, it don't care. It, it's it's of, of no value. We, we, can, we don't have a say. We cannot say we, we don't want you to make rules to which we do not agree. No chance, right? And, but this, the problem here is that basically this is not a fair contract because a contract where the majority decides, two people decides what a third people, what the third person should do is not a contract. Right? It's a contract to the disadvantage of third parties. And normally this is, this is forbidden in, in also civil law, law societies and common law societies. You, you and I, we cannot agree that the third person pays us $1,000. It's impossible. Yeah? But this is what the actual social contract looks like. I'm talking about that just to give you an idea why our societies do have problems. Because most people never reflect on those things. So let's do something which is also uh, not, not the usual approach. Let's say 
governments or the governments are a market. It's the market of living together, as I call it. And it's the biggest market of all. It's about, it, it accounts for 30% of world uh, uh, um, GDP, if there was something like that. Um, it's, it's bigger than manufacturing, it's bigger than healthcare, it's bigger, bigger, bigger than energy, bigger than finance. It's government, it's about 30% of all our spending in the world is, is going to this market. But this market is highly concentrated and inefficient. 5% of the countries, you can see the big blue dots here um, on, on the map, they control 80% of the market. <laughs> and 90% of the market participants lose money every year, every year. And now <laughs> on top of that, 80% of the people living in these countries are dissatisfied with how their nation is governed. So it has nothing to do with a certain party or a certain candidate. All over the place, all over the world, people are dissatisfied how they are governed. They have the feeling that they have absolutely no power, that there's a certain group of people who's always making the decisions not on their behalf without asking them and that they cannot influence that. And that they're basically get, not getting a good service and a good product for their money. That's, it's as easy as that. People have to pay something and they understand that they have to pay for infrastructure security and all that. But what they get is not satisfying to them. So now if you imagine this was just a normal market and you would say, hey, it's highly concentrated, it's inefficient, the, uh, the competitors are making, are all losing money uh, and 80% of the customers are dissatisfied, and this is an opportunity. <laughs> there must be an opportunity for a business person. And that's exactly what I thought. I said, hey, this is, a, this is not only a, a political philosophical problem. This might be a business opportunity because that's what market, successful markets uh, participants are all about. I'm serving a need that the people are looking for and that therefore you make money as a successful entrepreneur if you fulfill a need that is there with your fellow citizens. And I think here we have a very, very strong need. And this is the alternative I'm offering. It's called free private cities. In a nutshell, what is the concept? The protection of life, liberty and property is guaranteed by a private governance service provider. Your rights and your obligations are contractually defined. It's not a social contract, it's fictional. It's a real contract, it's a written contract. It says, these are the rules and this, these are your rights and that's what you have to pay for it. And now comes the thing, I cannot change that contract, right? That is another problem with our social contract. It's constantly changed, but here's the secret. It's never us that are changing the contract, it's always the other side. So of course there will be conflicts about the interpretation of this contract and all that. These would, these would go to an international or just to an independent arbitration panel. Right, like in international trade, that's nothing new, that's normal. If you have a, have a dispute with a, with a company in another country, you often decide to go to arbitration, even if you have a dispute with a, with a foreign government, normally this goes to, this goes to uh, arbitration. And if you don't like it, you can cancel a contract anytime and leave the city without having to pay any kind of uh, leave tax or whatever normal countries think they can keep their people in 
uh, as kind of hostages because they ask a lot of payments or large payments if people want to leave. So, and on the other side, you don't go into a free private city if you don't like the rules that are known in advance. Another big, another big uh, plus, right? You know in advance what the rules will be and you know that they cannot be changed by one side unless it's written in the contract or you say, I agree to a change later. And I think these free private city concepts, um, this is offering much better incentives um, than the states. Um, one thing is skin in the game, right? I, I told you that uh, um, current governments don't really have incentives because if they deliver a bad service, they have not less income. <laughs> they just raise taxes. And but not so here, right? This is basically a service. The free private city is a service provided it's a governance service. And if the city operator is doing not what he promised in the contract, he can be held liable for misperformance or malperformance. And he knows that the better services he's offering, the more people will come into his city, the city will flourish, the value of the city and of the, of the land, which is an important part of the business for the city provider, will increase, right? So he has an economic incentive to treat the citizens well and follow his own rules. Of course, you could say, well, I have the security forces, I, I do whatever I want. Yeah, he can do that, but only once, right? Because then nobody is coming any longer. That is comparable to a cruise ship captain, by the way, on the high seas, right? He has all the power you can imagine. He is uh, executive, legislative, and jurisdiction in one person. But he's not mistreating his people normally, or I've never heard about that. Why? Because he has a commercial interest, right? Um, people would then sue him uh, on land, back on land, and nobody would want to, to go with that cruise ship company anymore. And that's about the same here. The incentive to treat people well is extremely high. And that is the protection also for the citizens. Now, why start small? Why just the city? Why not the whole country? You can, the whole country could be run by a private company or could have at least this contractual model. Well, it's too difficult. That's just the, the, the honest answer. National reforms, especially in such a big country like India, have a high cost of failure. Um, if something goes wrong, the whole country, right, it's a bad reform, the whole country is, is affected. It has also a high political cost of implementation. There will be a lot of opposition against any change, no matter what direction, right? And there's no room for experimentation because it has also always to be the same rules for the whole country. Now, this is where a special zone that is carved out of the country, where, for example, a free private city can, can start um, it has a low cost of failure, especially in the, in the free private city model where you say everybody who's coming is there, coming there on a voluntary basis and he knows or she knows in advance what the rules will be. So if this goes wrong, well, the damage is limited because people know, knew that that could happen, they knew the rules, and it's limited to a, to a certain area, not the whole country. And and that means implementation is also much faster possible because it's just a small area and you can import best practices from all over the world, right? You, there's no need to say, hey, we have already done it like that. No, we want to try out new things. We have a project that is 
um, in a special administrative zone that has been created in Honduras. And there we have, for example, imported for the land transactions only a law from New Zealand and have script, have um, streamlined this law to make it even smaller. Um, and for other areas, we have taken other rules, right? So that is a big plus. You can really, like in a supermarket, you can, you can choose between the um, most um, successful systems all over the world. And if it's successful, yeah, then it can serve as a role model for the country and they can, they can copy it and replicate it. That's basically what the Chinese did when they, when they uh, first um, modeled their first uh, special economic zone in Shenzhen. They copied Hong Kong a little bit. Um, so they made their first zone in Shenzhen. And when it was obviously successful, then they repeated that in other parts of the country. And now they have hundreds of special economic zones all over China. So China was basically developed to the economic powerhouse that it is today through that model. The special zone model, you try something out and if it works, you increase and, and you make more of them, more of the same. So if we would have something like that, what would be the result? First, it would be legal certainty for the reasons outlined, the contract that cannot be changed then you would get guaranteed security by the provider because this is his main service, right? Protection of life, liberty, and property. You would have maximum economic freedom, little rules, little regulation, because basically I want this to flourish, right? And there would be a professional administration, of course, that's, again, a service, it's a professional service. If people do not perform, I exchange them. I say, okay, let's look for better people who are really better, um, public administrators, uh, so to speak, and you would have less political conf conflict. Why? Why is this, is, is this possible? Because everybody has a, has a contract with the operator. So you know that you cannot basically impose your will on your fellow, on your fellow citizens and change their contract. You cannot do that because even the operator cannot do it. So not even a majority can come and say, we want to build a new swimming pool and we want everybody to pay for that. And you would say, no, it's not in my contract. I'm not going to pay. I'm okay if you ask from me a higher entrance fee because I didn't participate in the financing, but I'm not willing to, to, to finance a swimming pool because I don't need one and I want to spend my money other, in other ways, right? And that is, that is the biggest plus. There's no forum for people to impose their will upon others. And I've been very, become very disillusioned about that. People are always saying, yeah, it's for a good cause, right? This has never been uh, different from for all over the world history. But your good cause is not my good cause. I may have, I have another view of the world and you have another view than I. And the third person has a completely different world of view of the world. So there's only one thing where we all agree. We want to live in peace. And that is what is happening here because everybody has guaranteed that in the contract. So together, this would, could lead to long-term stability and therefore prosperity. And that is what we, and by the way, would take uh, away a lot of political uh, and religious conflict because there is no forum for that, right? If you want to impose your religious rules upon the others, the operator will kick you out of the city. You say, this is not part of the game here. Everybody has a contract and you say, these are the rules and, and you sign for that. And if you say, now I have no new ideas, I want to rule this thing, 
<laughs> you break the contract, your contract is canceled and you're kicked out to the, to the uh, benefit of all the others who stick to the rules and stick to what I have signed. So how is this, um, you would ask, okay, nice idea, but how can this become reality? Now, first of all, um, there is no place in the world that we just can take for that. So the whole world is uh, divided among sovereign nations. And even if it's not like in Antarctica, there are, there are uh, agreements that nobody can establish the sort of sovereignty there. So we couldn't, uh, uh, couldn't do that. So we have to find a, what I call a host nation, right? And it's not so totally out of the idea because we have already special economic zones. So there is already something which is a little bit comparable. There are already special economic zones. So the, um, and then we have to create a win-win scenario. Here's, here's for example, what, uh, what in Honduras has, has been done. They said, okay, we are taking an area um, that is uh, uninhabited. Uh, and uh, on an island that is uh, neglected by the, um, uh, by the central government uh, when it comes to distribution of taxpayer money, some people are not so satisfied, and we are going to develop something there, and investment will come and jobs will, will be created. And that is something that, on the other side, also then um, the country will benefit because your companies will get, uh, will get uh, business in this uh, zone, they will get offers, uh, they will get uh, orders uh, of all kinds from the zone. And um, on the other hand, you can say, okay, uh, we are also willing to pay a certain uh, uh, amount of what we uh, make money to, to the host nation, right? Like for, uh, as a, as a um, um, consideration for defense uh, and uh, foreign policy protection and uh, recognition that uh, we are still under the sovereignty of the host nation. We can agree on a certain percentage, for example, Honduras is 12% of the tax income within the zone goes to the Honduran central government. And then once you have created a legal framework, which is admittedly the most difficult part of it, in Honduras they even had to change the constitution to make that happen, then you establish a project, right? So first, these three steps have to be taken. Um, if these uh, zones do not have a kind of a semi-autonomy, it does not really make sense in my view. Um, if you just say, I'm a private developer, I want uh, to develop something under the rules of the, of the existing nation, you can do that, but that has nothing to do with a free private city, right? Because then you are fully subject to the, all the rules and regulations of the state, which are changing all the time. So, but in reality, again, first projects are already underway. Uh, I mentioned the one in Honduras, which is not ex exactly a free private city. It's called, I would say it's a special administrative zone, a public-private partnership model. It has, has public policy elements and private elements, but it has a substantial autonomy that can be compared to Hong Kong, right? So they have an own, um, uh, own legislation, uh, own courts, own security, uh, and, and the right to basically regulate most areas uh, on their own. There are only a few areas which are like human rights or international agreements that Honduras has conducted that are exempted from that uh, regulatory power. And this project has also, I was involved in that project, I have helped designing the legal framework. So we could introduce there the, the contractual model, which is, in my view, it's really, really a big, um, big step towards individual sovereignty 
and to, to individual protection that you, say, you can always claim, hey, I have a contract and I'm entitled, I have legal standing if I feel that I'm, I'm not treated well, if, if I feel that the contract is not fulfilled. And people cannot force me to something that is not in the contract. So this is, in my view, a very, very large step that has been taken there. And uh, that is something that should be surveyed how this, how this project works. There's an, a, second, uh, a second project in Honduras now. They have, uh, have established this law to make it happen. And we will probably see even more projects there. So a competition on the market of living together is slowly starting, but it's there. And this is my conclusion. You never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. And that is, I think, also after 35 years of political activism, my conclusion, stop arguing, start building. Yeah, what is uh, Free Private Cities? It's an international company focused on the incubation and establishment of free private city. We have, we have a, a, a consulting arm, it's called Tipolis, where we are basically doing the real job and, and negotiating with, with governments. And I've also a book written uh, on that, um, where all kinds of details and all kinds of questions are, are answered and it's available at Amazon and Apple. Uh, in all for its electronic, even as, as an audio book or as a normal print book. Yeah, and that was my presentation. And now I'm open to your questions. And thank you very much uh, for listening to me. If you are interested, have a look at the website, freeprivatecities.com. And um, the, um, uh, uh, there's also a newsletter coming every three months um, where we uh, discuss uh, news development in the world and you might be interested in that. Um, and yeah, then I would say, okay. uh, please start your questions. Okay. Thank you so much, uh, Titus. Um, very, um, very new uh, information for many of us. And I would like to ask um, a question for myself. Um, mm -hmm. This is actually, uh, you actually developed this concept um, Three private cities on top of the chartered chartered cities concept. So, so what is the difference between chartered cities and also free private cities? Yeah, and also good question. The relation between special economic zones because special economic zones might similar to this one, but there is a fine line between. I mean, like which actually differentiate uh, special economic zones and chartered cities and free private cities. Could you explain that too? Yes. Um, so I would say the main difference between the charter city concept of Paul Roma and my free private city concept is that um, the free private cities are, are privately governed. They're, they're governed on a for-profit uh, uh, for basis, right? Whereas the, the charter city model was basically uh, importing public officers from other states uh, under a certain, uh, well, the, the idea was just to form a new uh, entity in the Caribbean under Canadian law with Canadian public officers, for example. That, that was the, the initial idea. But there's no uh, fixed definition, right? Some people say charter cities is every, every city that has a certain autonomy guaranteed by a charter. Whereas in a free private city, it's not guaranteed in a charter, it's in a contract, right? It's, it's a more private governance model, whereas I would say that the charter city is more public traditional governance model, just with, with other rules. So 
you could say free private city are a special type of charter cities um, if you want. Um, but um, uh, there's a, there there is a lot of um, well a lot of lot of destinations. Some people say free cities, and there are there are all kinds of of names. Now coming to the special economic zones, this is basically the, the lowest thing. Right, a special economic zone is 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 an area that is carved out in a, in a country with special rules, normally just for export import. That started as export import. You don't have to pay uh, tax duties. Um, then you have some normally some labor law easements. And in the most advanced special economic zones, um, which are in Dubai and Abu Dhabi, they started to have their own courts, right? So they have their own legal system. This is the most advanced, which comes, then comes closer to the free private city or the charter cities model. So um, you would say that the special economic zone is, is, is the lowest level of autonomy. Then you have a charter city with a little more autonomy and the free private city has the, has the highest autonomy and has, has a different model. It has, really, it has really the possibility to, that everybody has a contract and this contract is your personal constitution. It's, um, um, it's protecting you, so there's no need for a charter. In Honduras, it's a mixed model. You have a private contract and a charter. Right, so there, all kinds of things are, are doable. And um, a Swiss uh, diplomat told me, um, uh, for some uh, governments, he says, free private cities is a brilliant idea, but but politicians do not like two out of these three words. They, they do not like the word free, and they do not like the word private. <laughs> I said, okay, then let's name it prosperity zone, right? And then you say it's just an, another type of special economic zone. And then if this is more acceptable in a certain country, that is also not a problem, right? So if, if the private model is, is frightening people away, you can say, well, um, everybody could own, every, every citizen could own uh, a share of the, of the company. So then the, the city is owned by the people themselves, right? That could also be possible, but you have to stick with the contractual model. Otherwise, you come back to the old problems that we have, that the majority is, is basically dominating the minority. Mm -hmm. um, the next question, um, I would like to go with uh, Bharat. Bharat, are you there? Do you like to ask yourself or do you want me to? No, I can ask. Uh, no, I can ask it. Uh, am I audible? Yes, yes. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, I actually had a couple, but I guess I'll go with this one first. Just a second. So yes, uh, the private city model—it's um, entirely based on on a, on a contractual obligation, right? So let's assume that um, it actually works, like it, uh, it that a contract gets passed, and then we have um, people that are moving in. So what prevents a private city that you just described from leading to uh, well exacerbating actually class, caste, and ethnicity-based segregation? along the lines of existing inequalities in our societies. So we know that certain communities have lower levels of economic wealth. They can pay, um, they, they have little lower migration rates because they have lower access to uh, easy transport, stuff like that. So what prevents your private cities, your envisioned private cities from becoming, a, becoming essentially a place for legal segregation to take place? Yeah, and, and well, here's the thing, I mean, <laughs> Behind your question is the ideology that people are somehow oblig obligated to to uh, to mix or something like that. 
in a free private city, this is open, right? You would have all kinds of free private city. If people want to segregate themselves from other people, that is their right. They have the right to do that. If you keep people, because look, what, what would be the alternative to, to, to hold them back against their will in a certain system? We have had that in the German Democratic Republic. They built a wall because the people wanted to leave the, the socialist system and go into the, um, in the free market system of West Germany. And that is exactly the same if you say people um, want to segregate for whatever reasons. I'm totally open. If people want to segregate for religious reasons or for ethnical reasons or for political reasons, they should do that. They have the right to do that. They're individuals. They can make a decision. I would say there will be probably in the future many, many places that are like Singapore, where you have a mix of everything, um, like in Monaco here in Europe, where you have all kinds of people living there, but it's clearly European culture. It's even a Catholic uh, a principality. But this is all the thing. And if you, you say, okay, we are disadvantaged, yeah, then please offer something that people who are investing can come. And then they will come and your place will prosper. And that is, that is not uh, by forcing people to remain and, and, and deliver the money and, and deliver the, um, the development. That is, that, is, that, is, that is how it has been in the 20th, that is the 20th century thinking, right? Now in the 21st century, people would say, you know what, I go where I am treated best. So your job would be, if you want to, and that's exactly where Honduras is doing the free private cities to improve the conditions of the average Honduran, right? And again, it's not a free private city in Honduras. It's called a special economic zone for, it's called a CD, a zone for economic development and employment. But the, the model is comparable. So what they say, what they, I think they have understood the problem. They say we have to deliver an attractive framework so that all kinds of people can come, but especially our Hondurans can then have a better living inside those zones. And if these zones work well, we want to replicate them all over the country so that the whole country is raised. And that is how it's worked. It's not going to work if you say, you are not allowed to separate, you are not allowed to segregate, you do, are not allowed to, to live together with the people you, you like best. Well, people are different, right? And if somebody wants only to live together with Japanese and another just only wants to live amongst Jews, who am I that, that can I, I be the judge on that, right? I mean, people are like they are. And as long as they do no harm to others, then they have every right to associate themselves with whomever they want. And if you disagree with that, you have to use force. Don't forget that. Okay, um, thank you so much. And um, Bharat, I would like to um, give you another uh, chance to go ahead with your next question because it's very interesting. Do you want to go with the management monopoly one? Uh, yeah, I think, um, first of all, thank you so much, um, sir, for going through my question. Uh, this, this is an entirely separate line of thought, so it's not a follow-up. Uh, what would prevent the private, mono uh, the private city that you envision from overstepping the legislative bounds in the contract. So essentially became, becoming a monopoly and uh, becoming a monopoly of rights and turning into a dictatorial state in of itself that takes away the rights beyond the contract that was originally signed. So what prevents a, monopoly, a monopolistic state from becoming a dictatorial state? 
Yeah, basically, uh, it's competition, right? I mean, you have you have two securities. One is the um, the final answer is, would be competition and and the for profit model. But I can give you um, a more detailed answer. First of all, in the contract would be stipulated that if you um, if I'm not following the contract, you can sue me in before an outside uh, arbitration, right? So you. It's not that I have own courts and they basically making my own cases. There would be a neutral court outside of the city, which would deal with those things. And then you can sue me and I still can misuse my power. There's no doubt. I, I have the option to do that. But then two things happen. First, I get sued by people and they would uh, um, basically uh, claim my, my properties that are outside the free private city and they can seize my properties um, with this title. Secondly, um, if this would this word would go around quickly, right? Would people say, "Hey, this guy is not operating his free private city according to the own contract. He's misusing his contract." So, what two things would happen? People would leave, and other people would not come, right? So, and eventually, I would go uh, go insolvent. So, and, and so far, it's very important because the question is justified. It's very important that we have many, that we not have one free private city operator for the whole world. It's very important that we have many, many different types operating entities where people can go, normal state, uh, states where people can go and say, I'm not satisfied um, um, uh, with that, I go to another place. So this option has to, has to be there, right? There are other models, uh, they say we have to have um, a, a competition within the city so that you have different security providers. I think this is not doable in practice, um, but uh, I'm open. The market should decide, right? And in my my answer to you is that because the, the reason is like the cruise ship captain, right? He also could become a dictator, but he's abstaining from that because of his commercial interests. Okay. Thank you so much, Titus. <clears throat> Our next question is from Mugabe. Would you like to go Mugabe or do you want me to speak for you? Okay, I will speak for him. Okay, how do private cities deal with the pandemics like COVID-19? Which is yes. actually one of the questions I wanted to ask. Yes, yes. I mean, this, this, I have been asked this several times, but even there was even a, a presentation uh, on that uh, or on the conference. Um, basically, um, you, have to, you have to think, um, okay, um, there are two things. One is I have, as a provider, I guarantee liberty to the people right, in the contract. On the other hand, I guarantee protection of their lives, right? So you have, you have two things, right? Some people might say, normally I would say, okay, I have to be prevented for all kinds of pandemics. So there would be already a plan uh, how we would deal with that. Like in most countries did have that plan, but they just didn't care about that because they're not sued, right? If I'm really doing bad things, if I'm totally unprepared for a foreseeable pandemic, if I'm not getting uh, equipment, tests, masks, and all that in, then people would sue me, would say he's doing a bad job in protection of our lives. On the other hand, I cannot just say, hey, let's lock down everything. That's also not possible in a free private city. So what would we do? We would say, okay, look, here's the thing. If, we, if, if something like COVID-19 is coming, we would say, okay, we probably have to, have to close the borders and check everybody who is coming in um, if he has COVID-19, because then he has to go in quarantine. 
So this is the, the low thing that we can do. It's the, it's the border protection. I probably, if I would lock down the whole um, city, then people would sue me because they say there's no need for that. There are other things that can be done. And by the way, we are here as sovereign individuals. If we are afraid of COVID-19, nobody forces us to leave the house. We can stay inside, right? Don't forget that. I mean, it's, uh, it's, about, um, uh, it's about individual responsibility. On the other hand, if, if something would happen that everybody would be infected immediately um, by a very dangerous virus and maybe die, or as we was, were fear, the, the fear for the COVID-19 is that every the, 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 the hospitals would collapse, then if such a situation was given, like here, we would, for example, COVID-19, there was afraid that if this is going to spread, all hospitals would collapse. Then I would say, okay, then we have indeed um, to make some measures because I own all the, all the roads and the streets. I say, okay, you, have to, you are only allowed to go out with masks or, only, or even for a certain period not going out. But the moment I have indications that this pande pandemic is not as problematic as it's thought to be, and if I have enough play spaces in the hospitals, then I can open up again. So, um, so basically, there's no uh, super different answer to what you have known in several countries, but definitely it's, it's a more stepwise approach, right? You would say, okay, it's no need to lock down everything. If a school wants to open and another school wants to close, that's their decision. I can only make the decisions for the whole entity, but the, the, the easiest one is really to, uh, to make border controls for people coming in and saying, if you have COVID-19, you cannot come in. Um, you have to be in quarantine for 14 days first. So that is basically what we would do. I would say um, it would more be like a Swedish approach, right, where you have um, not a complete lockdown, but but certain uh, options. Because I'm, I have always the uh, the threat, the threat that people would can sue me, and I and and the court might find that I'm liable because I I locked everything down without a real reason, or on the other hand, I did nothing and people died. So I have to really, I'm, but it's not a bad thing, right? Because it forces me between a rock and a hard place to do something that is not only reasonable, but which is also in balance, which is not a total uh, strict model, but it has to see both sides of the things, right? And that is what I, um, I think. So there's no perfect answer to that question, but I think um, a free private city would be better prepared, uh, would be make a more uh, um, balanced approach and would be then um, more flexible with its reactions. It could also be that it's, if it's a very uh, uh, small place, like only 10,000 people, we could say, okay, let's close the borders and let's, let's make uh, voluntary tests. And if we are all negative, then, okay, we can just continue um, our, our daily life, right? That's the advantage of small, that some small places might have. Okay, thank you so much. And uh, next question is from uh, Dennis. Dennis, could you go ahead? I prefer you to do it <laughs> if you want uh, to. Hello, hello. I don't mind. Yeah, may I please? Yes, Dennis. Oh, it's yeah. Dennis. Oh. Hi. So, uh, 
that was very inspiring. Uh, so my question is, um, uh, kindly enlighten us. Actually, it's like I want to know, uh, know more about it. So could you please enlighten more uh, on your view relating to the private defense mechanism which could be employed? Uh, because definitely, more more probably, we would have to employ uh, private defense personnel for our protection, right? Also, would you uh, you know go through the jurisdictional matters of uh, jurisdictional aspect of courts of law? in a nation uh, uh, towards uh, such private cities, especially when it comes to conflict of criminal law uh, with respect to the contractual uh, laws made in the private city and the laws of the you know, nation that uh, we are talking about, the host nation. Thank you, sir. Yeah, I, I could not get everything you said, so I'm sorry, the line was not too good. So I, I'm not sure if I, if I got, the, got the question right, maybe... Um, when Katesh, can can you help me? Should you repeat, uh, Dennis, if you don't mind? Yeah, can I repeat it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, firstly, would you uh, enlighten? Could you please enlighten us uh, more on the private defense mechanisms that we could employ uh, mm -hmm. in the private cities? Also, um, can you talk about the jurisdictional aspect of codes of law of the host nation? Uh, onto the onto such private cities, especially when it comes to uh, you know conflicts of law between the contractual laws uh, of the private city and the laws of the uh, host nation. Is that clear? Sir? Yeah. Okay, it's clear. Thank you very much. Thank you. I got it now this time. So first, the, the defense mechanisms. So um, the in a way you are still you're still depending on the host nation. You're, it's probably not possible to create a, a sovereign entity um, right now. So you have to be rather semi-autonomous. So on paper, this defense thing would be, uh, would be uh, a job of the host nation. But over time, I can imagine that you, you step up um, a, a private uh, defense mechanism as, as Singapore did. And you can do this, for example, by um, not only just by hiring private security firms. Uh, you can also say, okay, let's make a kind of militia system and people who are volunteering to partner, they are to, to, to um, join forces, they are to subscribe. They, get, they have to pay a, a lower annual fee, right? That would be an, uh, an example. But what the protection mechanisms that we have by not just getting invaded by the host nation at the moment is that we is investor protection agreements. Most countries have investor protection agreements, right? In Honduras, for example, Honduras is a member state of the CAFTA, of the Central American Free Trade Association. And the... Um, uh, they have an investor protection chapter. So the idea was that the company that is operating the zone is a U.S. company because the USA is also member state of the CAFTA. So, and the CAFTA says, okay, if you are doing something that leads to an expropriation by, of our citizens or our companies, then you have to pay damages. And that would mean that is giving really you a protection because these countries then normally are, get, are kicked out of these CAFTA agreements if they just do not pay or just disregard the, the arbitration orders. So um, this would be the, big, the best protection so, so far to the, to the defense mechanism and at that point of time. Um, jurisdiction, of, of that depends really. I mean, it's basically something in Honduras 
um, for several reasons, they wanted to have common law, right? Honduras is not a common law country, it's a civil law country based on Spanish law. And uh, the people wanted, even from the Honduran government, they wanted a, a common law uh, to attract more US investors. And that happened there, right? So you have basically, um, the, the most important thing is, what you mentioned is the conflicts of law. Yeah, this is the biggest thing. I mean, if the, the country will say our, all our laws apply, then a free private city cannot come into existence, right? So if you do not have a, a certain autonomy to make your own laws, this whole concept wouldn't make sense, right? So normally what you have, uh, there's no normally, right? It's totally new, but we have one case and we have some other special economic zones which are very advanced. You have normally a list of things, right? There's a list of, of laws that are from this host nation that still apply in the zone and all the rest does not, right? So you will still have all kinds of issues, but this is how it's normally done. You say, okay, here's an area, there you have own regulation and there's another area where the state laws applies. In a perfect free private city, you don't have that. You only have these, these own regulation, but this is not realistic. So at the moment we have a kind of a mix, but for example, in Honduras, if there, uh, or my recommendation would be, if you have another legal system, common law, then you host nation, and if there's a conflict, then you go to an um, independent arbitration panel and then let, let them decide for any kind of, of, of disputes. This is not uncommon in international business. If a big mining company makes a new mine, uh, and they say, okay, we need uh, legal security for at least 20 years, otherwise it's not profitable. Um, then they agree on an arbitration clause normally. Right? So this is, this is not unusual and this is also something I would recommend. Um, so what was, there was one more, or what was the last part? Um, Dennis? That is it, sir, that is it. That's okay. it. Okay. okay. Thank you so much, uh, Dennis. And the next question is from actually Danica. Could you go ahead? Uh, yes. Uh, thank you very much for all attendees' questions. All very interesting, and all the answers also very interesting. Uh, Titus, um, as a Bitcoin believer. I'd like to know your opinion of using Bitcoin as opposed to the fiat currency controlled by the host country or any foreign country. Yeah, I think Bitcoin is a very, very important um, element of, of, of the freedom in the 21st century. And basically for the very same reason I have come up with my conclusion is do not try to fight the old, just create something new. And it's exactly what Bitcoin has done, right? It's, it's an alternative currency. And I'm what, what people call a free banking man. So I'm not coming with my own currency. So I say, hey, people in a free private city, you are free to use whatever currency you want, right? So normally people would then use the local currency and people are absolutely free to use Bitcoin for all kinds of transactions. So I would say, um, Bitcoin has the potential to become a, a new reserve currency um, in, in this century um, because the fiat uh, currencies will, some of them will eventually collapse because of hyperinflation or, or loss of trust uh, of the people in the, in the currency or both. Um, um, and uh, in so far, um, 
it is even con conceivable um, that we uh, that we write in the contract that you have to pay your annual fee in Bitcoin, right? At the moment, we wouldn't do that because Bitcoin is too volatile. But um, uh, what we what we can imagine is that we say, okay, we have the right to uh, to ask for the annual fees also in Bitcoin. But I would say Bitcoin doesn't need a promotion from the free private city. It, it, a currency either has a natural acceptance or it doesn't have, right? So that's why we say you use whatever you want, right? And then if, if Bitcoin is the choice of most of the people, then be it Bitcoin. If it's the dollar or the rupee, then be it that. I have no, no problems with that. The only decision I have to take is in which uh, currency do I want to get paid, right? <laughs> For my services. That's, that's my decision, right? Okay. Thank, Thank you, you very much, Tedes. Uh, uh, the next question is from actually Abby. Abby, could you go ahead? Hey, uh, am I audible? Yes, yes. Okay, uh, great. Uh, so, um, my question is uh, can you give some examples of programs or models which you might have thought of, like through which like, free private cities can help people? with low to no capital to move in. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. like uh, if, if we are thinking of uh, selling this idea of free private cities to eradicate poverty too, can you think of some form of, some form of uh, programs that you might have imagined that would help people with uh, almost no capital to move in and later start owning property and all? Yes. No, and this is... This is... From both the uh, uh, company side and then the employment and whatever. Yeah, well, first of all, it's um, the the environment of free private city is is created um, favorable to everybody who wants to start a company, be it a very small or very big, right? So small people, um, small people, if they want to start their own companies, they can uh, they can basically do it without uh, the need for permits. I mean, if they work as a chirurgist, it would be different. But for a normal business, you don't need a permit. You can just do it. It would um, you give you the right. You would be protected, right? I mean, the payment that we are talking about is, is not large, right? In Honduras, it's $260 per year. So for Hondurans, right? Uh, expats paying $1,300. So that is something poor, poor people can afford. And what we would offer them is protection is uh, uh, they can come if they uh, have an issue. There is no corruption. There is uh, no need for a big permitting procedure for everything. And then the, the second thing is jobs, right? I mean, this is a favorable jurisdiction for most companies. So they would say, want to hire people. And if you say, I have a job there, I say, okay, then you can come, even if you're very poor, because I know that you will make enough money to pay my $260, right? And, and that is the point, and, and I think, so the, um, what, what, what my experience is that in, in most countries, the problems that poor people have to climb up the ladder is that there is, there's cronyism, so people, they cannot get a permit for what they want to do. So they have to work illegally. And then if they have, a, have, a, have something where they are going to the state and say, I want to export something, they have to fill out 16 or 20 uh, papers and basically that kills the project, right? They can also not import tax-free because there's all kinds of things. So um, I think if you just leave, let people do what they want to do, because what we are not offering is uh, uh, subsidies, right? 
So if you want to come and say, hey, we want free money, free lunch, that's not offered. But if you are a, a, an honest worker, a hard worker, you can, make, you can make it there. You can make it and we are going to protect you. And if somebody is coming and saying, we have to close down his business because I'm a competitor and I'm bigger and I'm, I want to have new rules which kick him out of business, I say, no, he has a contract as you. So I'm not going to, uh, um, to change that. So I think um, we will probably not convince people by talking to them. We just have to have to do it and, and show it that it's working. And then only then are people convinced. But I think a, a message that you can spread is that the amount that people pay for the, for the protection of life, liberty and property is so small that basically everybody can afford it. And um, this is, this is the message that I think we need to send out is that the, this is what the state is really for, right? It's to, it's to keep up the peace. It's not to redistribute or not to follow man, all kinds of ideas because I think this is what free people on the market can do better because they just, they know what they want best. They know what their fellow citizens need and a, a big centralized government cannot have this knowledge. And even I cannot have it, right, as a small city operator. The people themselves, they know best what is needed on the market. And now if I enable that, and that is also for rich, poor, and middle class the same, right? So they, they should flourish like they did in Hong Kong, right? Hong Kong is basically a city where a lot of poor Chinese who maybe were rich before but lost everything to the Chinese revolution and that... And, and, and all this cultural uh, war and all that, they came with nothing. And they really raised uh, the living standard in Hong Kong every year. There's, there's, I think, how this could also You can go ahead. Okay. Uh, uh, hi, sir. Uh, so there's, there, I, I've seen that there has been a lot of cases around this project that's gone to us uh, recently. Akash, uh, could you speak a little uh, louder? Sure. Am I audible now? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, okay, so, uh, so so I've heard that there has been a lot of pessimism around the ZED project in Honduras recently. Uh, and uh, um, there has been a lack of respect for property rights. And uh, there has been uh, instances of corruption. So do you think that there is a catch-22 situation with respect to both corruption and the lack of respect for property rights, even when we are trying to build a private city? Yeah, again, I mean, this is, um, this is the reason why there's a special zone, right? Um, to, to avoid the, uh, the corruption and, and, and the uh, disregard for, for properties. We even had, uh, have established an own property registry in the zone in Honduras. Um, so uh, this was necessary and that was a big struggle with the, with the government uh, that we could have our own company and uh, sorry our own uh, land registry and property registry um, so that it's all is transparent right it's all digitalized all transparent and it's uh, there's a clear again it's a New Zealand law that we are working on that front 
and um, the um, the idea is that this this zone does not have much to do with the Honduran state or Honduran state commission because uh, it has a separate legal entity like Hong Kong has nothing to do basically with the Chinese laws, right? Because they have their own laws. They have other problems, uh, but um, just to understand the principle. And this is, this is the reason why you do such models, right? And again, if you, if you don't like uh, the model, you can always come up with a, with a different idea. But the idea as such is that you take away a part of the country where you do establish a framework where there is respect for the rule of law, where there is respect for property, and there is respect for your individual freedom. And it's a guaranteed, contractually guaranteed respect, right? It's not just I'm respecting that. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm obliged to do that because I signed that as an operator. Right? I signed the contract with you and I brought people which are not from the country. That's important, right? It doesn't matter which country it is. It's just to avoid the corruption issue. So at least it's for the judges, right? I mean, for administrative people, it's not a problem. Um, and also police or so. Uh, but for some, um, look, for example, in Monaco, you say, hey, this is first world country. Yes, but even in Monaco, the palace guard are not comprising of Monegasque people for a reason. Right, so they're importing people from France because this is a too delicate thing. Because in the past they have always there have been attempts to overthrow the prince by the palace guard uh, several times, um, well, not in the last fifty years, but before. And then they they established the uh, idea that that members of that guard should not be from Monaco; they should come from other countries. So this is an idea which has nothing to do with colonialism or so. This is just the idea that people might get corrupted more easily if they have friends and family that are asking them a favor and they have to do that. So you just bring people in for delicate persons, for delicate positions that do not have to do anybody a favor because they're not from this region. That's the, the idea behind the, uh, these things. Okay. Uh, thank you so much, Akash. And um, the next question is from Ajay. Ajay, could you speak? Hello. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. Uh, hi, Titus. I have a quick question. Uh, have you read about uh, radical markets by Glenn Whale? And do you think that there's any scope for that sort of a system within a private city? Because I think one of the issues is going to be there's still going to be a little bit of a central planning nightmare in, the, in a sense that once you have a city which has like millions of people, then city planning might get a little bit challenging. Uh, so do you see any role for a sort of a participative democracy? Uh, and, uh, you know, is, is that something that you envision for this private city? What kind of democracy? Just uh, uh, As in, uh, you know, some, a, a participative democracy where, you know, people can still get to vote about a limited set of things, probably not about everything, but within a system of... Yeah, this is, this is, this is certainly uh, an option, right? And sometimes it's... Um, it's also uh, demanded by the state. I think um, you, you touched a lot of interesting points. So this, the, 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 the planning thing, right? So there's, I don't know if you know the Patrick Schumacher, the uh, famous architect from Zaha Hadid. He says it's a, it's a market-based urban order. Let it just develop, right? But on the other hand, it's not so that you can completely do that because as a city provider, you have to take care that the city is attractive. So at least, so our compromise is we have an inner core which is kind of planned where we say, okay, um, 
the houses should look like this and that. And then you have other areas where it's open. But if you move in another area, in an open area, you know that maybe your neighbor tomorrow is building a pink skyscraper in front of your garden, right? That can happen there. It cannot happen in other areas. So you can choose a little bit where you want to be. There might be also areas, as you said, where some participation is, is necessary. What I can imagine is a kind of, a, it's, a, it's a called um, a corrective democracy, for example. If there's a plan or a zoning or something else set up, um, then people could, uh, could vote it down by the by majority, but they cannot come up with own laws, right? Because this will end up then again in uh, I putting my, my hand in my neighbor's pocket. Because if by somebody is then saying you the majority is entitled to, to make own um, regulation, then we, we also have the same problem again. But there, um, there are all kinds of models. There's another called a double democracy where you say, okay, everybody should have, who has a share in this uh, free private city and everybody could have at least one share uh, if he's moving in, right? They have a vote and they are voting on like on a shareholder assembly and then you combine this with this corrective democracy where people can, even if the, major, the majority of shareholders voted in one direction, then the majority of people can reject it, right? They can say, no, we are residents and we don't want that. So there are, um, I've, I've described in my book some elements that, that could be there. But again, the main idea is different. The main idea is that we have a limited set of laws um, mostly protective, protection of life, liberty, and property. Um, there will be some central planning where we say there should be roads here and there, um, but all the rest is basically uh, given to spontaneous order. So the society is, is uh, uh, organizing itself and uh, they come up with their own laws, their own rules, their own, not laws, but their own rules and their own agreements. And in so far, it's, it's not necessary, I would say, to, to come back to the traditional models. But I, I see that we might come to a point where we say, hey, in this, in this particular area, we do want to have participate, participation of the people. And uh, I'm, I'm open to that. And basically, uh, we probably will have to do that in some areas because the host nation is demanding it. Did this answer your question in a way? Yeah. Thanks. I can't hear you. I think you are muted. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you so much, um, everyone who is actually joining. Thank you so much, Titus, for um, providing great lecture for us. So our participants actually um, gained a lot of understanding how free markets work. And for the participants, if you'd like to explore more, please visit a free private cities. And we would also actually um, send some more resources to explore the concept and how um, we can actually make it uh, in reality. And um, thank you so much, everyone. And um, we'd also invite you to join next week, um, Tea Policy Conclave on uh, 
COVID pandemic, uh, is it time for uh, structural policy reforms with um, uh, Deraj Nair, who was actually author of um, Modi and Markets. And also, he's also a chief economist at Vedanta, and he was a former head of the economics finance division at uh, Niti Aayog, which is actually a state um, national uh, think tank for government of India. But he has a very cool, um, decent ideas that actually can um, push for second wave of economic reforms, which actually help us to um, being on the global economic stage. And um, these also actually, his ideas also um, give a scope for um, ideas like uh, free private cities and also uh, startup societies and charter cities. Um, I hope you guys are actually interested to join next week. Until then, thank you so much. Bye-bye. Good night. Thank, thank you. Guys. Thank you so much. Yeah.